Well, hello and welcome. Uh, this is Mark Waterfill and Dave Broadway with the first PATC podcast. We really appreciate our listeners being here with us. Uh, David, uh, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Mark. Hope you are. Absolutely. Fantastic. Tell our listeners where you're from. Well, I retired to the mountains of North Carolina to get out of the steaming um, hot Florida. And um, I spend eight, about 80% of my time in the mountains and um, the rest down in Florida visiting with grandkids and enjoying my retirement. Man, that's fantastic. Well, my name is Mark Waterfill, and I am the president and owner of Public Agency Training Council. I'm also an attorney. I've been practicing almost 36 years. I can hardly believe that. Uh, I live in Plainfield, Indiana with my wife. Uh, we have four adult children and two grandchildren. I'm also a lawyer, but we're here really to talk about Public Agency Training Council, a fantastic company that I own that uh, provides training for law enforcement, fire officials. We also have some school and administrative classes uh, for educators, particularly school violence. And uh, so that's the short bio of my background. Dave, you want to provide our listeners with a short bio of yours as well? Sure, I'd be happy to, Mark. 34-year law enforcement retired professional. I had 10 years at a local police department, and uh, the remainder of my career was with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Those that are not familiar, in most of the southern states, Florida being one, that um, you have investigative agencies that are, are separate from the highway patrol. So we don't have a true state police in Florida, but we have the, the executive and the investigative branch, which is the, which is the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and then we have the Florida Highway Patrol. After being at um, FDLE for many years, I headed up a statewide narcotics program. I taught in our academy. I taught with St. Petersburg uh, College down in Florida. I teach adjunct at Western Carolina University, and also proud to say I teach at PATC when called upon on um, developing, managing, and recruiting confidential sources. It was kind of my um, my stick at the, at the local agency that um, I taught that in the academy, and also that um, I really enjoyed doing it. Well, that's fantastic. We really appreciate you co-hosting this program with me, and I know that you've got a lot of uh, significant issues related to law enforcement that you're ready to talk about. Let me spend a few minutes talking about Public Agency Training Council and giving our listeners a little background on that company. It began in 1987. I was actually the lawyer for the company for nearly 30 years and then bought it uh, about six years ago, March 30, 2016. I purchased Public Agency Training Council and have thoroughly enjoyed the experience. Uh, it's really been fantastic. We have over 60 instructors who are all independent contractors. We have well over 120 separate classes. These classes are just dynamite got some fantastic classes. Uh, for example, Jack Cambria, the former head hostage negotiator, chief hostage negotiator for the city of New York, teaches our hostage negotiations and crisis intervention phase one and two, as well as phase three. Jack does a wonderful job. Jack is also occasionally on the TV show Blue Bloods, and he's also a consultant to that TV show and just does a wonderful job. We've got some incredible instructors. Brian Jarvis is one of our instructors with the uh, new detective and criminal investigator class, which is one of our more popular classes. Brian uh, last fall was on TV show to tell the truth. Brian caught 
uh, along with his team, caught Eileen Warnos, the female serial killer about whom the movie Monster was made. And yes, Brian has gotten to meet Charlize Theron, at least on the telephone, as they were uh, participating in a documentary uh, about Eileen Warnos. Brian does a wonderful job along with his partner, Tom Tittle, who also assisted in that case. Those are two gentlemen who worked together for decades in Central Florida, now teach detective and new criminal investigator and do a fantastic job. We've got other outstanding instructors. Uh, George Perez is the new chief for Miami-Dade in Florida. George called me up Saturday and said, Mark, I'm so sorry I have a problem. I said, what's the problem, George? He said, President Biden has invited me to the White House to speak on Monday, which was yesterday, April 11, 2022. And I'm supposed to be in Ohio speaking about the essentials of internal affairs investigations. So we moved things around and, and George was at the White House yesterday speaking on gun violence at the White House. And uh, George just does a fantastic job with our internal affairs certification class. That's one of our more popular classes. He's joined often with Charles Braun, who is an instructor who has taught more than 40 years here in Indiana as an attorney. But he's a tremendous speaker and attorney and gives excellent legal advice. The list goes on and on. And we're really proud of our instructors, a wonderful group of instructors and a wonderful set of staff members as well. Bobby Campbell keeps our finances straight. She's the CFO. Stephanie Coomer, she does all the scheduling and does a wonderful job. Katie Armstrong, who's producing this podcast, is a capable young person who does a wonderful job with uh, marketing and uh, with technical issues such as this podcast, is the director of Mark and uh, head of our operations. Um, if you're interested, what we tell new potential instructors, which we have who contact us, is look closely at our website. Try to propose a class that, that we haven't taught before that's not on our website. All of our classes are in person, two days to four and a half days. Very, It's very typical that I will get calls from or emails from people and they'll say, I can teach anything. Just give me the material. I can teach anything. Well, that is not our philosophy at PATC. Our philosophy is if you're going to instruct for us, then you need to write your own material and present a class that you have created and the material belongs to you. May I interject? Absolutely. I appreciate, I appreciate that, having been a long-time instructor for several uh, companies during my career. I appreciate the fact that um, I can draft material and all that, but um, the, to the potential um, instructors out there, I'd like to add, probably the hardest part is doing the filler, the background, the history, and gaining, and gaining a, an interest in the subject matter. Once you get that down, a lot of us are practitioners. We can do it, but it's coming down to um, what can I do for background that will apply, that will be a building block to really drive home the points that I'm trying to teach. And, uh, you know, Mark, thinking back to what you said about the Warnos case, it's such a small world. The guy that went undercover in the bar with Warnos is a close friend of mine. Oh, really? And, uh, yes. So uh, Mike and I, we haven't talked in years, but you just uh, tickled a memory. And it's just so wonderful to be at PATC because I reconnect. I connect up with people that teach things of interest. And uh, folks, I'll tell you, after 34 years in the business, I can be a real tough critic 
of instructors. But when I get a chance to go to a conference and I have a downtime to go sit and listen to someone else, it's enlightening. And I go away a better instructor myself because I've listened to someone else present. So you guys out there that you think you have something to teach, stretch out and and encourage, put something together. And uh, through PHTC, if you'd like to contact me, sometimes I'd get um, kind of Pearl Harbored by the Academy at FTLE and say, you can teach this, can't you, David? Wow. If I do a good job, I got to really think about it. But I'd like to put myself out there. If you think you've got something, you just want a second eye to review it or to help you out with that, I'd be more than happy to do it. I'm retired well. I teach two classes at Western Carolina University, and I have plenty of time. So that's it, Mark. I just wanted to talk about Mike being the undercover in that. Well, that that sounds great. Uh, I appreciate that. And we try to have about 10 to 15 classes per week across the country. Check out our website at patc.com. We also have virtual classes. Those are at patceducation.com, as well as an online store. Uh, we try to have a webinar a day. We have several virtual classes, so you can get your hours in sitting at your home or your office as well. Now, Dave, I know that you had prepared some uh, hot topics uh, in law enforcement. Uh, what are your thoughts in, the, in that regard? Well, what I'd like to start off with, Mark, is you know just, just looking at law enforcement and the state of things today, the blame game and prevention. Now we're, we're, we're treading into unknown waters when we're trying to identify a potential um, uh, offender of a mass shooting. And uh, there's legal issues there. There's, um, there. there's problematic things of uh, search and seizure of, um, of content out there. And um, one of the things I wanted to talk about today just briefly is charging law enforcement for failure to act. Let's just let that sink in a minute. Charging law enforcement for failure to act. And wow. um, wh- where do we go from here? Um, where's discretion in this? Do I go or do I not? Where's discretion here on the legal side and also on the moral side? What have I done here? And uh, one of the things that came to my mind is about a firefighter. We got an active shooter situation, and I'll briefly go into a few things. And uh, boy, I encourage anybody. I'd love to have a conversation on this with some of our trainers out there and some of our um, active shooter responders. But one of the things I was thinking about, Mark, and uh, is uh, firefighters. At what point do they get to the scene and say, you know what? It's too hot to run into the vortex of that fire. And do we give them a, a kind of a, um, a professional leeway to say, I'll just go in and, um, and uh, I'll extinguish, extinguish his flame at all costs? Well, do they become a victim that needs to be rescued? And we start thinking about an active shooter situation and charging people for failure to act. Some immediate um, impact. And guys out there, I would love, and ladies out there, I would love to have, have some comment on this. Is um, immediate impact. The one first thing I think of is retention of officers. Dad, gum, I didn't do what happened in Minneapolis. I didn't put my knee to the neck for over eight minutes. I hesitate. I evaluate. We all deal with fear and stressful situations in the same way um, biologically. So you're going to try me without being able to create the same circumstances in the courtroom. The next thing would be in recruitment. My students at Western Carolina University, about 10% want to go in law enforcement. Others are just curious taking my law enforcement uh, classes, my courses. And um, I've had some uh, people in there saying, you know, all my life I wanted to be a cop. I'm not so sure now. And then, of course, last is here's, here's, here's the challenge for you guys in training. How do you train fresh in the academy for active shooter and, and discretion and refresher training through your agency, a quarterly re- uh, training or whatever, or when you come to PATC? How do we now do this to say, all right, 
in certain situations to stand the torpedoes, you run in, you sacrifice yourself. So what I'd like to do is start out, Mark, if in any comment, please uh, jump right in there. Yeah, I've got a couple of comments about that. Um, It's very interesting that you bring that up. Thinking back to my law school days nearly 40 years ago, I'm not going to get this case name correct, but I think it was the Tartikoff case out of California where psychiatrists had to deal with lawsuits for failure to act. The idea being a psychiatrist is evaluating someone and the patient says, I'm going to kill somebody. Yes. Basically, where it is their duty to act. And so in that realm, they have all been many lawsuits and and issues. And so I could see that applied. And then also the Parkland shooting. I think that the school resource officer was severely criticized in the in the Florida uh, shooting. Yes. Uh, And I want to talk about that. Yes. Yeah. And so those are the two thoughts that come to my mind. And it is a a huge issue because, of course, law enforcement and firefighters have to walk a a very difficult line of failure to act versus overacting or, you know, they're criticized severely for doing too much. So those are interesting issues. And 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 it's a seesaw, Mark, when you think about it, because I know what my job is, is to serve and protect. I know that life is the most precious commodity in our society. And um, at what point do I, do, do I rush in and not think? And, and, and if you don't mind, I'd like to go on uh, in a little bit of a history of that. But before we get there, it's really interesting about that case you brought up because we all perceive a threat or fear biologically and chemically in the same way, unless you're an anomaly, you know. A threat is perceived in your mind. Your senses are starting to talk back to, to the uh, hippocampus and the um, and the amygdala. It's 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 lightning fast, more than lightning fast, and you're you're assessing the situation and you're processing it. And the mind relies on short term and long term memories. One of the things, if I was an attorney, I would look at for a law enforcement officer's failure to act. Which we, when we get into the um, the active shooter situation at uh, Marjorie Stone High School, is is the they, they don't get into the processing issue of that and and how fast do you process the, these types of things? Fight mm-hmm. or flight is um is what everybody says when you encounter a threat. Fight or flight. Well, I, I want to add a Daveism in there. Freeze. You become over. You're overcome like a deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. And I'm not pointing a finger at anyone because I've worked with different skill levels different um, uh, uh, people with different courage thresholds. And I think I've seen just about all in 34 years. And uh, it's really hard for me. And I could bring up a story that would be too long here to start evaluating what someone did at that moment. And uh, do you have anything to add to that, Mark? And I, I'd like to do well, a just, brief history. Just adding that it was, it's Tarasov. It's uh, uh, is the principal uh, related to a psychiatrist. I may have misspoke, but uh, that is the California law that says that a psychotherapist has a duty to warn a third party. But go ahead. These are these are great thoughts. Uh, and uh, what is the background for that, Dave? Okay. Well, I'd like the trainers really to to get a hold of me on this. I really like it. And um, here's a brief kind of. This is my history on active shooter situations in law enforcement. And I go back to, to, the, to the real pinnacle of this is 1966, the University of Texas Tower shooting. In that situation, a, a, um, a Marine veteran who had killed his, I think it was his mother and one other family member, 
the day before. He climbed the Texas Tower on the uh, University of Texas uh, campus. And there's an old mantra, what's the most dangerous thing in the world is a Marine and his rifle. Yeah. Well, here he is in a high ground situation, you tactical guys. You think about this. 1966, he kills 15 people, indiscriminate, just shooting, and he wounds 31. And what I think in my mind is this was kind of the birth of, of SWAT and active shooter response. Um, because the cops responded in 1966. They had wheel guns and they had shotgun, ineffective, with a sniper with high ground um, with high ground advantage. And the um, the uh, Reader's Digest version of the of the event is the cops went to a a firearm store, got what they needed, and one one cop and a citizen was able to negotiate the stairs of that um, tower. And you guys, you former SWAT guys like myself, there's hardly anything more dangerous than going up a staircase when somebody's expecting you. So they went in there and they neutralized the situation. All right, 1966. Now let's go to 1974. And guys, I know I'm skipping a lot of things, but I'm giving a brief history here. The SLA, Symphony's uh, Liberation Army, and the LAPD got in a shooting on, on a uh, situation where a house was identified where they were holding up. This is the same people that um, kidnapped Patty Hearst. They were, they were, um, they were extremists. They go there. And the LAPD fired 1,200 rounds that day. And if, if, I, if memory serves me, it set the house on fire. So we got all these things, and now we start having births of tactical teams, SWAT teams, if you may. And they're coming out because we need to deal with these situations in a good, sound way. Now, hang with me just a minute. We'll fast forward to a 1999 Columbine shooting, the Columbine shooting. Everybody should know that this is law enforcement. And what that did is it was an, it, they started thinking it was the birth of immediate entry. Before that time, and during my time in law enforcement on the local level, remember I spent 10 years on a local agent before going to FDLE, we secured the area and waited for a SWAT team to come in, assemble, put, put a plan together and go in there and rescue and neutralize. After the Columbine, they said, this is no. We can't accept this. We can't accept this. So um, we had the birth of immediate entry. And uh, I have a, a very good friend of mine that um, is a number two in charge of a large southern uh, city. And uh, so I called him up. Won't call him by name because he'll he'll be terrorized. But um, I said, hey, man, I said, let me ask you something. Now, you're first on the scene or you're an SRO. And uh, at what point do you wait for do you wait for uh, two others to get there yeah. to go in on an active shooter situation? And he said, Dave, man, you put me in a spot here. I said, now I'm thinking legal and everything. I said, I promise you, I won't use your name. It's just you and me talking, friend to friend, former cop to current cop. He said, uh, the best I can answer is we are entry biased. I said, what a cop out. What a cop out, man. He goes, yeah, we kind of like you to go in so let's go into all these scenarios now and uh what if i what if i'm a cop that's just uh let's say i've got marginal skills shooting skills and the physical skills and i go in there am i going to do no more harm than good and all of these things are things that everybody has to individually um, process and also deal with the policy and procedure of the agency and of course state law now because Here's what happened in 2018, and this will be the last of my um, my brief Davism history. We had the uh, Columbine shooting in 1999. Says, this is unacceptable. Even though we were waiting for a SWAT team to get here, that would probably recognize um, uh, booby traps, would be more um, more used to working with a team and entries. And I know some of you guys will be calling in, or I hope you call in or email in and say, 
well, this is how we do it. We, we go in with no less than three, but I want to hear these things. You know, do you have right. to have a rear guard before you, uh, before you breach the situation? What happened? 2018, Marjorie Stone Douglas High School, active shooter situation. Deputy Scott Peterson, 30 years on the job. And I want to segue this into how Brevard County, Florida hires or, or assigns their SRO. So Scott's on there. He's got 30 years on. He he takes up a strategic position, unholsters his firearm, but he fails to go in. He's calling in the incident. He's lone. He's there by himself. He fails to go in. Now, not knowing anything about his service record, which I'd want to know, but he was charged with 11 felonies, guys. Oh you guys God. out there. He was charged with 11 felonies, one of them being child neglect. And, uh, Mark, you'll appreciate this if you want to comment on this. Uh, the legal minds are going, wait a minute. Child neglect uh, involves caregivers for children. Child neglect is reporting and, and reacting is an SRO which is basically a deputy patrolling a small um, populous building or or campus, is he the same as a caregiver? Now, I will tell you, I have not looked and seen what the outcome. Last time I I looked, there was legal wrangling going on saying, okay, maybe he hesitated. And um, a couple of things I'd like to know. He was 30 years old. Was this a retirement job? And I'm not pointing a finger. I don't know. Did he say, all right, let's get him off the, uh, off the street, let him finish his time, 30 years, and go on about his business? I would like to look what his employment jacket looked like. Was it discipline? Did he attend all the training? What if this, what if Scott somehow didn't at- attend active shooter training and he was an SRO? I don't know. Back when I went through basic law enforcement training and throughout my career with FDLE until Columbine, we were told that, you know what, get the pros here that work as a team. They know each other intimately and they're the best to go in. Well, that changed. So was Scott trained up properly in this was was his training up to speak in an active shooter? Did he have did he have a history of, of, of being um over aggressive because you know in law enforcement we can be sued for excessive force sure. excessive force now we can be criminally charged with failure to act and again what you touched on mark what the psych- psychiatrist said these are factors in how people react to fear first you got to process it and then you got to evaluate it and saying Am I doing more harm than good? Um, I was on the, uh, after 9-11, I was uh, transferred to the um, domestic terrorism uh, task force to set up different um, training and things like that in the area. And I will tell you, unfortunately, during that time, those of you that were policing knew that everybody was in the um, 9-11 training business from the three, three stooges to 3M. We had, and everything in between. We're blessed that PATC vets their, their instructors that really puts it out there. So we've got all these things. Scott is now charged with 11 felonies because maybe he had a momentary hesitation. Maybe he didn't sleep well the night before. Maybe he had a current injury. And these are things I'm maybe, you legal minds like, like Mark, you would think about it. at what point was he prepared to go in? So you've got this. And in Marjorie Stone, 17 students and teachers were killed. So was he having a bad day? Did his brain process the threat to over being overwhelmed? And he just froze for a few moments. But those that are being recruited and retained in law enforcement now, it's something to think of. Um, I know I can be charged for excessive force, but what if I'm using discretion and all of the sensory that my brain is processing? says just stand back before you react then we can be charged for that and that's and that's a problem i think for trainers it's a problem for recruiters and in the future mark maybe we should put together something at PATC on just 
this subject where we have legal eagles come in, legal advisors for agencies, and we have tactical trainers coming in. But it takes somebody from training wheels training where we bring them into the academy. They don't know anything about law enforcement to those that are actively policing. And at what point do we bring you back to deal with active shooter situations and um, not, not getting to, into the fa- uh, the firefighter uh, scenario I gave where damn the torpedoes, damn the heat of the fire. We got to go in and not think this thing through. Mark, right. again, that's for you. Yeah, those these are all good thoughts. And um, uh, we have provided uh, numerous active shooter classes. Uh, we've also learned that uh, there are many agencies that provide those for free uh, as well to law enforcement. Um, the other uh, thing I wanted to mention is while we've been speaking, tragically, there's been an active shooter situation in a Brooklyn subway station. At least 13 people have been transported to area hospitals. And there were... Uh, several undetonated devices were also found at the subway platform. And so uh, this active shooter situation uh, just continues. It seems uh, repeated over and over And here just this morning uh, in a Brooklyn subway station as well. Um, we're, I know, it's just awful. Well, we're going to wrap things up here. Dave, these are all great thoughts and uh, uh, a wonderful first episode. Um, we have patcpodcast1 at gmail.com. That is patcpodcast and the number one at gmail.com. And so if listeners have any thoughts or suggestions, please make those, uh, send those emails to patcpodcast1 at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Dave, thanks so much. I really appreciate your participation. And thanks to our listeners. And uh, I hope you have a, a great rest of your week. Yes, sir, Mark. And say a prayer for the for those victims in the subway. And say a prayer that these officers were spot on. That they took that, they processed it, and they neutralized that situation just as quick as they could. One, two, three.